session with Dr. Farid Hulaku. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and free podcast on iTunes. Again, the studio number 310-441-0555. Before I begin, again, the book of the week for this week is The Evolution of Desire by David M. Buss. The Evolution of Desire by David M. Buss. Um, it talks a lot about mating for humans, and even the, the subtitle is Strategies of Human Mating. That was uh, done after collecting a lot of data across the world and seeing strategies that exist for humans. And many of the things that he talks about, I've seen in a lot of other books, because this was a groundbreaking book and a lot of what it shared. Um, but uh, looking forward to completing the book. It is actually my first time reading this book, uh, as was the case for last week's book. So I hope you'll join me in reading that book. Now, related to desire and that word, I wanted to start the show talking about, uh, not such a happy topic, but loveless marriages. Something that many people seem to find themselves in. Uh, not only do they seem to find themselves there, they almost think there's no other choice. If you talk to a lot of people, especially if they've been married for a long time, they'll let you know that this is how marriage becomes fairly loveless over time. It's almost like a PSA, public service announcement they give you that don't think you're, the marriage you're in is going to be how you feel for the rest of your life. Soon you'll be kind of like, at best, roommates or uh, you know, people who are co-parenting some children, but the relationship itself is inevitably going to lose its passion. Now, there's different ways that marriages can become unhappy Sometimes I differentiate them between hot and cold. Hot is ones that have a lot of expressed conflict, yelling, arguments, and those types of things. So there's a lot of heat in, in the, this, the unhappiness. And then there's also cold unhappiness. And that's really more what I mean when I say a loveless marriage, one where there's not much of a connection. Uh, there's usually a lack of sexual intimacy, emotional intimacy. And also there could be a lack of conflict which sometimes could give couples and parents the idea that maybe their marriage isn't all that bad and especially isn't so bad for the children. So very often they'll stay in these types of marriages. Uh, very often I hear, and I'm sure maybe you're experiencing it yourself, but you've seen it in other people, husbands and wives that sleep in separate bedrooms. And sometimes they'll blame it on snoring or uh, one has to wake up earlier or some other excuse, but really it's more a sign of lack of intimacy, closeness, or the desire to be close to one another. So to begin with, the idea that being in a loveless marriage where there is no fighting doesn't affect the children is not true. The children see 
your relationship as the first really that's the first model they get of what a marriage is supposed to look like and when they see that you're not expressing love towards each other that you're not very close to one another and there is this coldness in the household rather than the warmth that can be provided by a loving relationship that affects them that coldness affects them too it's like you're adjusting the thermostat they're going to feel that coldness even though you think there isn't something bad going on the lack of those good things that are supposed to be there has an effect i've worked with individuals that say their parents that were in a very loveless marriage and they went to a friend's home and the husband came and kissed the wife on the cheek and they were almost in shock with their jaws dropped like what is going on here what's happening because they never seen something like that in their own home it seemed so foreign maybe something that only happens on television but not in real life so we we know it's going to have an effect on them and also what they're going to expect in their own marriage in their own relationships or what they think they they should expect or accept so some people might see a loveless marriage and actually the children will decide what's the point of getting married why would i want to do that to myself and someone else or bring kids into that or they'll accept a relationship that looks that way thinking well this is as good as it gets this is what i'm supposed to expect and accept so as i always say don't stay together for the kids and i'm not just saying immediately get divorced for the kids actually you should work on things for the kids work together for the kids don't stay together for the kids. Many couples think, well, I don't want to hurt my children, so we won't get a divorce. We'll wait till they're old enough and then get a divorce. Rather than saying, hey, what if we actually try to work on things and make them better? If we're deciding to just stay together for the kids, well, in the meantime, we might as well work on things too. And that's what I think absolutely you should be doing. Now, let's look at why the marriage might become loveless or in this way, disconnected and cold. There, there are many reasons why. And a big one that many couples might experience they might not realizing they're experiencing is that they're actually choosing to make the relationship boring they are actually creating a loveless marriage because they want a safer relationship a safer marriage now what does that mean so part of passion and the excitement that comes with that is the instability or the not knowing that comes with having a new partner you meet someone you're attracted to them it's exciting but you don't fully know them yet and that not knowing part of it is actually one of the big things that contributes to passion and that excitement in those early stages of love. Now, most people think this has to go away, but it doesn't really have to go away because, of course, it's not going to be exactly as it was at the beginning. But really what we need to recognize is that our partner, just like ourself, we're not someone and they're not someone that could fully be known at any time. But rather than accept this, that my partner, although I may know them to a certain degree, I still definitely don't fully know them. And not only that, they will grow and change, so I need to continue to get to know them. Rather than accepting this possibly scary notion that I don't fully know my partner, we make them boring and completely known. Oh, there he is again. He comes in, he puts on that TV show, he changes into that shirt, he does this, he's just such a boring slob, and there's nothing exciting here. But we want them to be boring because that feels safe. So to feel safe and secure, we need to feel like we can predict and know what's going on. But the truth of the matter is, we must accept that our partner is someone we will never fully know. We always have to get to know them. We're always dating them, something that I always tell couples. Always be dating till the day you die. You're still dating and getting to know each other. Because that's really the truth of the matter. Just like you should be getting to know yourself for the rest of your life. You're never done in that process either. So many couples choose a loveless marriage. 
And the reason why I say that is because it's very easy to just complain about your partner. And that's what most par par parents or partners will do in these relationships. They say, oh, yeah, my husband's like this, my wife is like that. And we just complain about the other person, not realizing that maybe we're creating this type of relationship ourselves. And as always, rather than pointing the finger to our partner and saying they're making the relationship boring or unhappy in whatever way, we need to point the finger at ourselves and go, okay, what am I contributing to make it this way? Am I actually happier this way? And that brings me to my next point. Although you're complaining about it, you complain to your friends, even to yourself, and just, oh, this is such a bore of boring, pitiful life that I have, but I guess I'm just going to have to stick through it. What you actually need to ask yourself is, do I actually want this relationship? Or to put it in the other way, would I actually be able to tolerate or want a very close, connected relationship? So we're complaining that we're not very excited and not very close to our partner. But many people, I would say even most people, don't actually want to be very, very connected to someone. Many people want to get married because of social convention, because they think, it's an achievement in their life because they want to have children because of all those other things, but they don't actually want a relationship. They want the marriage part and what comes with it, but they don't actually want the relationship that comes with a marriage, which means being very connected to someone, being vulnerable and open with someone, allowing someone to be there for us and for us to be there with them sharing our secrets, our insecurities, our pains with someone else, being open with someone when we're upset about something that's happening in the relationship or want things to be different, talking about the sexual relationship and if our needs are being met or not met or what we'd like to see change, talking about the relationship in general. Most people don't actually want this type of a relationship. They don't want to take the risks that it takes to create this kind of relationship, the work that it takes to make this kind of relationship with someone else. Yet we don't want to do the work, but we'll complain that we don't have it. It's like saying, you know, you have all these building materials and then you complain, oh, look, I don't have a building. But you don't do any work to put the building together, to plan out how to make the building and then do the hard work of actually constructing and developing the building. But you just keep complaining, oh, look, I, my building is so weak or small or not very good, but we're not doing anything about it. But it's very easy to just complain and not do anything about that. So related to this, many people have a fear of intimacy, a fear of genuinely being close with someone. And as I said before, I think most people actually fall into this category. Now, fear of intimacy is something that we can say everyone has to a certain degree because taking a risk and entering a relationship is, is a scary thing. There's no guarantees and you're opening yourself up to get hurt. Essentially, you're trusting someone with your heart, with your emotions and saying, I am giving you this. I'm giving you the power to hurt me, but trusting that you won't. That's one of the big elements of trust that we have in a relationship is that we recognize we are giving our heart to someone and knowing they can hurt us, but we're taking that risk because we want to get close to someone and we trust that they will take care of that and cherish that and take care of us in the process. But most of us have a very strong fear of intimacy that keeps us from creating a very close relationship and wanting that close relationship. It's so scary for us to enter that. And looking at our fear of intimacy or trying to understand it, we'll have to understand our own relationship history and what we've experienced 
from childhood. First and foremost, as I mentioned, what was our parents' marriage like? But also, how do they treat us? Because if we didn't feel loved and appreciated as we were, and that we can fully be open with our parents, well, how comfortable are we going to feel to be fully vulnerable and open with someone else? Very likely, you'll draw the conclusion that I can't do that, that either people will hurt you, or that if I show my full self, the other person won't love me and will leave me. And so we hide a lot of who we are too. So a lot of what contributes to a loveless relationship is one, we don't want to fully know our partner and take that risk of seeing them as something that we fully never fully know and understand. And also that we don't want to let our partner fully know and understand us and go in that process of exposing who we are truly to them. So we create this dynamic between ourselves and our partner that we never get that close. We never allow for the relationship to become fully what it needs to be past that infatuation at the beginning where there is some excitement, but into something longer lasting that is truly connected and deeply meaningful. We don't get that close. And then what do we do a few years down the line? Once that initial passion has worn off, we just complain about our marriage, uh, complain about our partners to whoever we get a chance to, and just accept that this is what life is supposed to be. Not that exciting. Uh, It's a fantasy to think that marriage can be exciting or keep you passionate for the rest of your life. And we just say, this is it. We resign. And then we force our children to withstand this loveless marriage saying, well, at least we're not fighting. So it's not bad for them. And divorce would be much worse for them. Well, if you have a loveless marriage, staying married is not doing any favor for your kids. As I said, work on the marriage for your kids. Don't just stay together for the children and give them the chance to actually have a happy relationship. So if you're in this type of a marriage, really think about it yourself rather than just accepting this is what marriage is supposed to look like or it's my partner's fault. Think about what you're contributing to the relationship. How have I created this loveless marriage and do I actually want a deeply connected relationship with someone? Because at least then you could change even your attitude. Okay, well, it's not my partner's fault and it's not marriage itself as a bad thing, but I'm making this what it is. And then you have the choice of deciding what to do about that. Well, I want to make the changes first personally and then in my relationship to make it better. Or do I want to just accept this? The choice is yours, but at least you need to know the reality and to, to face that reality and then make your choice. And going back to that notion that love can't last, that feeling can't last. First of all, I'd recommend the book Can Love Last by Stephen Mitchell, which was the book of the week a couple of months ago. But also I've talked about this study before where they did research on couples who were claimed to be very much still in love 20, 30 years after they had been married. And they found that their brains, when thinking about their partner, looked like people who were newly in love, like newlyweds or people who are just falling in love. So the passion can stay alive. And maybe you're hearing this and thinking, oh, they're so lucky, those people that still feel that way. Well, it's not about luck. It's about the way they approach their relationship, the way they look at their partner and their marriage, and the work they put into keeping the relationship alive, keeping that fire alive. You can't complain about the fire of passion going out if you're not tending to the flame, if you're not giving attention to the fire. We must be aware that we're responsible for creating our relationship and whatever state it is, we are at least 50% responsible for what is going on. And it's up to us if we want to make a difference. And the good news is we can make a difference if we're willing to do so. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tulakwi. 
back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello, Dr. Halaki. Hi. Uh, I am calling about uh, uh, my wife's uh, seven years old niece. Okay, before we start, you, are we on speaker? Because it's the sounds a little bit muffled. No. No. I'm, I'm on a headset. No. Okay. Okay. All right. Go ahead. You said you're about your your wife's seven year old niece. Go ahead. Uh, we have talked about her before. Uh, I've called you a couple of times for issues we had. She lost her mother mm-hmm. after uh, about one year of struggle with uh, her. Uh, cancer last year, September 17, and uh, we have going through ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Now, it's uh, Sunday is the Mother's Day. Yeah. I was talking to my wife, and she thought that we are going out for dinner or lunch something. We can take their family with us. And I thought that would be a lot of uh, pressure on her. So we are having a few issues. One, she said that she would check with the school to see if there is any uh, activity or any uh, special program which the kids make the card for the mother. And uh-huh. she, my wife thinks to take the kids not to go to school and take her out. And the other issue is on Sunday, I thought we should not go anywhere, uh, that they are having, especially if you go to any restaurant, the whole uh, uh, atmosphere is about the mother. And she's very sensitive about this, the kid. Like, if anybody like my wife sometimes says, like your mother, she sharply says, you are not my mother. Mm-hmm. You are my aunt. Which so is true. That's true. Wait, what do you mean? Right. When she says like your mother, what is she? What do you mean? What is your wife? By the way, is 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 this girl living with you guys now? Uh, I'm sorry. What is this? The seven year old living with you now? No, but uh, my wife. She's very close to them, and she okay. is uh, practically involved in all their daily life and uh, uh, discussing with the nanny, and she's controlling everything. But sometimes. Like she says, okay, now it's time that you have to go take your shower. She says, no, I don't want to. Mm-hmm. Or you cannot tell me that. And then, Which is uh, true. Even no. if you're the mother, you can't just tell someone when to do something. But let me just get a few more background questions. Does this girl have any siblings? Uh, yeah, one uh, uh, brother is one and a half year old. That's the, br- that's the one that uh, at the birth mother uh, noticed. That she's got the cancer. Wow. Okay. So just one brother and that's it, just this baby. Yeah. That's no. the baby and uh, the, they have a nanny taking care of them and a yeah. lot of people are helping them. Okay. But she's very attached to the father. So the father sure. has to be home if she wants to go to bed. The father has to tell her what to do. So we are coping. And with that makes that. sense. I mean, you know, she lost her mother unexpectedly. She's going to have fears of abandonment and loss, and so we can understand she's going to be very clingy and afraid to lose her father, so I hope you can be sensitive to that. Now, another issue that comes to mind when you say 
that the cancer and sickness started after the birth of this boy, uh, her brother, she might indirectly or directly blame him for her sickness and death, whether or not she expresses this. Something to keep in mind, because to her, mommy was okay, and then this baby comes and mommy is sick. Uh, she might associate that somehow together. That he's to blame. There's something to keep in mind. There's already usually enough issues with jealousy and and things with having a younger sibling. But something to keep in mind. There could be this added element because of what she went through. And I hope you recognize what this girl has gone through is incredibly traumatic and painful. And um, we would expect that it's going to affect her very, very deeply. And we have to be ready for that. Now, in general, I don't think it's even bad for her to write cards to her mom if she wants to. So she can be at school for that, as long as the teacher is aware and can be sensitive to the issue in case, um, you know, okay, good. Because, you know, make sure she's okay and how they want to deal with it. And even with Sunday, uh, more than anything, I'd also want you to ask her from now, give her, let her be involved. What would you like to do um, on Sunday? And you could talk to her about it. I think a lot of times people think because it's such a painful and sensitive issue we just should just avoid it completely and working with a lot of people that have lost a parent at a young age of course everyone's experience is going to be unique but they often say they felt bad that they almost thought they couldn't talk about their parents that they lost that it was taboo or that people would get upset if they brought them up and they thought they had to just stay quiet about it and it could even interfere with their grieving process so that's something else to keep in mind because I thought that she could, uh, I was telling my wife, maybe she can make the car, but then on a Sunday we can take it uh, to the ocean uh, that she can uh, put the cars on the water. That, that could be something nice. I mean, I, I think I, I definitely see where you're coming from without giving her that opportunity. And I would, as I said before, really ask her what would she like to do. Um, re- give her that uh, power to decide. What would you like to do on, on Mother's Day? Would you like to be with us? Would you like to do this? You know, you could just tell her what the options are and make it very clear to her, you know, that she can do that. It's... It's a very difficult situation, and you have to be ready that she's going to have a lot of pain. You might see acting out, like you say she gets upset, or she says to your wife, you know, you can't tell me what to do, you're not my mom. And we have to accept that this is a girl who's gone through something incredibly painful that no child should have to go through at that age. And and she's going to be experiencing a lot of ups and downs. And she might, whenever she's ready, it would be good if she can go to therapy, whether it's play therapy now if she's open to it, or as she gets older, we have to keep an eye on that, that this is a traumatic loss that she went through. Well, she is going to some uh, type of ter- therapy, and uh, but uh, she's, uh, uh, as you mentioned, it goes through a lot of uh, ups and downs mm-hmm. and... Uh, She's got uh, attitude, so everybody is trying to understand. And the father doesn't want to uh, to be firm on some of this stuff. Like sometimes she, uh, mostly in the morning, she doesn't want to get up on time. Mm-hmm. And uh, because by the time father comes home, they want to play and then to eat. And when she goes to bed, it's kind of late, and so she cannot get up 7 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, uh, so the father says uh, he, he is going through so much pain and he says he doesn't want to deal to put pressure on her mm-hmm. so the child is coming and has to sleep with him you know they have bribed her they have uh, made commitment if you sleep in your bed and all that all uh, we do this and they are giving her different uh, gifts and all that but two or three o'clock in the morning she comes downstairs and goes to the father and sleeps there well i mean it's going to be up to the father to then as tired as he might be at two or three in the morning go with her back to her bed and stay with her till she sleeps and then go back to his own bed because that's not a good pattern i mean i we can understand her desire for the safety and and feeling close to him, she maybe even wakes up and has a fear of losing him. And that's why he can go with her to her bed and stay with her till she falls asleep. You know, she can hold her hand or pet her head or whatever makes her feel comfortable. Not lie next to her, but stay next to her. And then once she's asleep, go back to his bed and start to reinforce that. Because the bribing and things probably won't be enough, but he has to really do that behavior and be consistent with it. And I can understand him saying, I don't want to put pressure on her in different ways because she's already been through so much. But at the same time, when any child's world falls apart like this, we also want to give them structure so that they feel like they're living in a secure place, that they know what to expect and what's going to happen in their life. So he does have to be aware of that balance that, yes, we don't want to be too strict or hard on her and put extra pressure on her. She's been through far too much. But at the same time, we can't say because of that there's no rules or boundaries in the home and anything can happen because that's not going to be good for her either. That just will contribute to this feeling of instability or anxiety within her about what to expect. But especially with the sleeping, it's a very important thing that she sleeps in her own bed. If she needs to feel more comfortable, she needs a light or she needs other things, they can figure that out. But he can talk to her about that, that, you know, I want to, you know, it's good that everyone sleeps in their own bed. So if you fall asleep, if you wake up and you need me to help you, I can come be there with you, but we're going to go back to your bed. And he has to be consistent with that. And uh, on the other issue uh, regarding her brother, I uh, was suggesting, since your father also uh, wants that uh, these kids to understand their uh, territory. I thought if anybody comes home, because she complains uh, that, oh no, whoever comes here, they go and they are hugging my mm-hmm. brother. Mm-hmm. So I thought if anybody comes home, or a special father and the aunt, and we all say, okay, I'm here for you, and two hours only, I'm with you. So I wouldn't go to the brother. And then after that, I go, okay, now is your brother's time. And I want to hug her and hold him mm-hmm. for one hour. Do you think this is a good practice that it, everybody follows the pattern? Well, it, you know, it, it, it can, it's definitely a good mindset to have that we want to make sure she doesn't feel that, that way that she's like, people aren't there for her. It might not always be so easy for everyone to say, well, two hours with her, one hour with someone else. But it could be very nice if they come say hi to her first. And even say, oh, where, you know, can you also show me your little brother or somehow make her feel part of it? But make sure she's getting the attention first. I think that is important. A lot of people, yes, when you walk into a room, you're more drawn into the, the baby or the smaller child. But it's good to keep in mind it's important to go to that the older child first to give them that feeling that they're special. You want to spend time with them. What you're doing is great. Giving her time and showing her you want to spend time with her it is very good. 
and I think that's great. I would like, as I said before, keep in mind there. This is a very interesting case of because the brother came and the mom went away at the same time, that she might even have some anger towards him or blame him in some way. But regardless whether or not this was the case, I would say yes, it's very good to go and give her that attention, especially if she's complaining about it, that she feels no one wants to come to see her. That's not a good feeling. We don't want her to feel that way. But uh, is it uh, also okay to label it and to say, okay, I spend uh, this time for you, and then the, the other half an hour, one hour with your brother, that understands that during her time, we wouldn't uh, pay attention or, uh, to the little brother, but also if she, because she comes and drags him away or just goes and throws uh, attitude uh, uh, and say, no, you, are, you guys are all, all over my brother. Mm-hmm. Well, now, I know, and maybe by attitude, you just mean the way she's reacting, but attitude has kind of a negative connotation as if she's being difficult, but, you know, she's really sad about what's going on. So we want to validate how she's feeling. You know, she's upset when she sees you guys just wanting to play with him and not her, um, especially when two years ago there wasn't a him and you'd only go to her. So, and she lost someone that gives her a lot of attention in her mom. Um, so of course she's still she's going to be yearning maybe even for, more for that. So you could label it. You don't always have to because sometimes it won't always be that clear. I mean, if the boy is walking around, I don't want you to not even look at him or feel like you have to close your eyes to him because you said I'm only giving you attention. So you can make it clear I want to play with you and engage with you. But also, I mean, the brother might be walking around and I don't want you to neglect or ignore him at the same time because you say I can't look at him because it's her time. But I think the mindset of making sure she feels special she gets attention she sees that she's getting attention is very important but labeling it it can help but it's not always going to be the case because sometimes if someone comes and the baby comes up to you and says like pick me up you can't say no i'm not going to look at you or pick you up because i'm playing with your sister so you can have to sometimes engage with both of them that's the only reason i say the the labeling might not always work but i think it's very good your mindset of making sure she gets that extra attention Okay, Doctor. Thank you very much for all your input sure. and uh, uh, suggestions, and uh, uh, hopefully well, we I, all can get through this. Yeah, well, I appreciate you calling, and I'm very sad for that little girl. Please send, give her a lot of love from me and send her love. You know, what she's going through is very difficult, and, and be ready that this is, for her, a, a lifelong issue she's likely going to have to deal with. Grieving the loss of a parent, it, it's, uh, it's going to be an ongoing matter for her, so... Be ready for it to change throughout life also, like when she enters adolescence and early adulthood. There's going to be a lot of things she's going to have to deal with. And hopefully it seems like you are sensitive to a lot of issues. So I hope you can continue to be that way and have that presence for her because she's going to need that support. Okay. Well, we shall follow all your advice and uh, try to make it. I hope so. I appreciate so. your call and uh, thank you very much. Sure. Be very well. nice to talk to you. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Talakwi. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tulakwi, studio number 3104410555. And the last caller, um, the last caller asked about his wife's niece, and I, I really did appreciate the call. I'm very sad that the family and the two children have, have to experience that a loss of a parent, but I'm glad I got a chance to talk with him about that. I wanted to talk a little bit more about grief in children. Um, because grief is a very difficult thing. I was just talking to Rahman uh, during the break about how everyone experiences it differently. It's a very unique thing. But then also in children, um, there's things that we want to be aware of because everything is going to be harder for children than it is going to be for adults to handle. We can imagine them trying to make sense or to to deal with these incredibly big things, things that like death that we can't even fully understand as adults, let alone expect the child to understand and know how to deal with it. But it's important for parents or the adults in the child's life to think about or to be aware of things that can help them in dealing with what the child is going through. So to begin with, death can be a trauma, and very often it is like a relational trauma for anyone, but especially for children. And specifically, if we're talking about a death of a parent, this is something that's an incredibly painful trauma, an intense trauma that can change the way the child can even think about the world. I mean, you know, how, why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Does this mean other people in my life will disappear because this was a surprise goodbye? I don't know how it happened or when it happened or was not expected for me. And all of a sudden I lost one of the most important people in my life, someone who gave me a feeling of peace, of safety, the feeling that things would be okay and who was going to take care of me. Am I going to be okay now? Am I going to be safe now? And it's very painful for children to deal with this. And we have to be sensitive to that. So we have to first recognize that the child is going through something incredibly painful. This is not going to be easy for them, and we want to be sensitive to that. Along that lines, as I mentioned the last caller, going to therapy for a child can be very helpful for this, especially something like play therapy, because yes, it's good for you to talk to them and absolutely be open and create a conversation or a dialogue with them about the deceased parent, um, that they can feel comfortable to come to you and talk no matter what or what they want to say. But because it's also so hard to verbalize these feelings, and some of these feelings can be so big and painful, they can be almost impossible to verbalize, play therapy can be a great way for the child to express what they're feeling or to get some expression. So that includes play and art as well, where they can use the art to express themselves, feelings that they can't put into words or can't comprehend but can express. So art and play are going to be very big ways that children deal with this. So going to art or play therapy can be helpful for them, but also give them ways to use art, play, music in their lives outside of therapy to use as an expression, to express what they're going through. Now, losing a parent isn't something you fully get over. And that's something people very often say when it comes to death. Like, when will I get over this? Or even a breakup. And especially when it comes to death of someone very significant, we should never expect for the child that they should get over it or it's done. It's almost something they're going to have to live with for the rest of their life. It's going to be there. So don't put that expectation on them that the child is supposed to get over it, that they, um, you know, it's been two years now or it's been this long now or, well, we have to all deal with it, so stop complaining or stop whining or that's not an excuse. No, this is something the child is going to be dealing with 
for the rest of their life. Very often it can affect them years and years later, even in their adulthood or their old age, this pain can still be there. Sometimes it's a wound that leaves a scar that never fully disappears and it's going to be there. So as a parent, it's very difficult because you yourself are grieving too. And you are going through all the stages and phases of, of grieving. And it can be very difficult for you to fully be there for your children because of what you're going through too. And that's why I would recommend that if you are a parent dealing with this, you also go to your own therapy to deal with your grief um, for yourself to begin with, but also because it'll allow you to be there more for your children. And related to that, don't be afraid to cry in front of your kids. Um, now, if you are crying every day for months and months and months, this can be too much for your children to handle if it's all the time. But sometimes parents think I have to be strong for my kids or they should never see me cry. And this is not actually helpful for them because if you're crying in front of them and they are very sad, it makes them understand and validates in a way their own feeling that this is very sad, that the fact that I'm sad is okay. And if I want to cry, I can go to my mom or dad and cry too, because they've shown me that this is okay. We are all very sad about this and that's fine. This is something in a lot of families, but especially in Persian families, we're very big on hiding everything from feelings to the truth, which I'll talk about next. But we think that we shouldn't show them that we're sad or we can't show them that we're sad because they can't handle it. Children can handle emotions, especially if we show them that emotions are okay. You have to also show them that you can handle their emotions too, something that you should be doing from when they're born. But of course, in a loss like this, you want to show them that it's okay for them to cry and it's okay for me to cry. I'm going to be sad about this too. Now also, as I just mentioned, it's important for them to know the truth, to understand what happened and to accept the reality. So you don't tell them, um, mommy went on a vacation and she's coming back or this happened or mommy's going to be back soon or whatever you're going to say. I've heard stories of people saying they've lied to their kids, sometimes about a grandparent or other family member. It probably is a little bit harder with a parent, but maybe people try. But I would say that no matter what, let them know. They deserve to know the truth and also knowing the truth helps build trust. If three years later they found out that grandma, in fact, didn't go to some farm up north to spend some time, and actually died, they're going to be very upset and they're going to feel like they can't trust you. So being open and sharing the truth with them is very important. Now, also, we have to keep in mind that every child is going to go through the grief differently. So you can look online, read books, and that's very good. I'd recommend highly you do that. But also understand that your child is going to go through it in a unique way. We can't say there's one thing that every child does or one way they all go through it. Children do various things. You very likely we'll see them act out more. So a kid that wasn't getting in trouble at school might be getting into trouble at school, acting out, getting mad at teachers. Keep in mind, they just had a death of an authority figure, a parent. There could be something there. They might even regress. So a child who was completely body, uh, potty trained and was not wetting the bed now might lose the ability to control both. And all of a sudden, oh my gosh, what's going on? Or you might even get mad at the kid, but we know that this can create regression when they go through some serious trauma of any kind, but especially something as serious as a death of a parent, you might see some regression. So be ready for that. There might be things that they used to be able to do and now they can't do. You might see a lot of anger. 
you know, of course, this feels very unfair. Anger is one of the stages of grief. So your child is going to go through that too. And you might think, why are you angry? Or they might even be angry at the parent that died because keep in mind to them, in some ways they feel abandoned by that parent. Why did she go? Why did he go? If she loved me, she wouldn't leave me. If she, he loved me, why would he leave me alone? So they could be even mad at this parent. And people experience this even as adults, but especially for a child when they're trying to make sense of, you were supposed to be there for me, and now you're gone. It's hard not for them to blame that parent, why didn't you stay? Why didn't you love me more or stay with me? And so you have to be ready for that. And whatever their feelings are, and of course, you know, I don't just mean this if your child is grieving, but no matter what, you always want to validate your child's feelings first not make them feel bad for what they're feeling, not make them feel guilty or ashamed for what they're feeling, but to, to understand that what they're going through is very painful and you can understand it and there's, there's reasons why. Now, another thing that can be very helpful for children um, is that grieving children often, and this is true for adults too, but they can feel less alone when they're with other children who've experienced a loss. And of course, you never want to force them um, or put too much pressure on them to join some kind of group. But sometimes there's groups for children who have experienced um, loss. I forgot the name of the place in Los Angeles area, but there's somewhere where they have uh, lots of different grieving groups, very specific ones, like children who have lost a parent to suicide, children who have lost a parent to cancer, various types of things. And it can be very good for the children to be there and to share their experience, but also feel the support and to feel that they're not alone in what they are going through, because it is a very lonely experience to have. Um, as the parent before, or the it was I guess the it was his wife's niece, but he was talking about well, when the kids are going to make Mother's Day cards at school, what is that kid going to feel like? All the other kids are talking about their mom and how excited they are in writing these cards, and here we have this sweet little girl who does not have a living mother to to write that card to, and that can be very painful. So if they understand, it could be a very lonely experience for them. And allow them to have that relationship with that parent still alive. Again, I, I said not a living parent or living mother because still her mother can exist within her heart, within her head, that she has her there, and have that relationship be there. And this is very important, that you allow for the child to talk about their parent freely and openly. I've worked with a lot of families and they made it so taboo, they almost wanted to erase that the person ever existed because it's such a painful topic or they think anytime it comes up, it's going to be emotional or going to hurt the person. They almost act as if the person doesn't exist. Even I've heard of families not putting that parent's pictures up anymore. They take the pictures down or they remove any pictures that they were in it. They don't bring up the person. The person's birthday comes. They don't talk about it. Mother's Day or Father's Day. They don't acknowledge uh, the parent at all because they think, well, it's just going to bring about sadness. So let's not talk about it. And this shows one of our inherent biases that many of us have that if something makes you sad, then it's bad. If something makes you cry, then it wasn't a good thing not realizing that very often those tears are very healing and necessary to heal the pain of that loss. And we have to have that space. So don't take away the child's relationship with their parent or their ability to still communicate and connect. People talk to dead people all the time. It's very common. In many cultures, it's even accepted and recommended, but many people find themselves doing it, whether they um, write letters to them, 
even talk to them out loud, go to their bury where they are buried and talk to them there. But this is a very common thing, and don't take away that experience for the child to communicate with the deceased parent. So make sure that person is still very much there, that you don't think because it's a sad thing we take that away because maybe they'll cry, that's a bad thing. Again, you don't expect or you shouldn't expect a child or anyone to ever get over this. And you can understand that they still might get teary-eyed or cried bringing it up, and that's okay. Again, there's no right way to grieve. There's no one way to do it. But it is very important for the child to feel the openness and the safety to talk about that person, to have communications. What do you miss about them? What do you think they would do now or wish they could do if they were here? Don't make them disappear for the child. It was already painful enough to have to lose them as in their physical presence on this planet with them. Don't make them have to remove that person from their heart and from their mind also, something that they can't do and they're going to feel bad about. And I've worked with many families where they felt that way or individuals who lost a parent at a young age and they talk about how painful it was to think I wasn't allowed to talk or I felt I wasn't allowed to talk about my mom or dad because people would get upset or wouldn't be happy with me. And as I also mentioned with the caller, be ready that different stages of life might bring up different parts of the grieving process. So maybe the child seems okay for a while, but then all of a sudden they enter adolescence and things come up or early adulthood and maybe romantic relationships come up and that triggers something or their own thoughts about becoming a mother or father come up and that triggers some feelings and some um, unfelt feelings or some parts of the grieving that they haven't completed. Again, it's a lifelong process and journey that they're going to go through. And as is always the case, all you can do as a parent or a loved one is to be there emotionally supporting them and validating whatever they're feeling. You're not responsible to make them feel anything or not make them feel something, but to make sure that they feel that whatever they're feeling is okay and you're going to be there for them and support them through the process. So if you are a parent and you've lost your partner and your children are without a parent, I really am sorry for your loss. And it's, I know it's a, I can only imagine how difficult of a process it is, but I hope you'll also take the time and uh, learning more about how you can be there for your children and for yourself during this very difficult time. So thank you again to our previous caller for bringing up that issue. Okay, we've reached our next commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tulakwi. back studio number three one zero four four one zero five 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 let's go to a caller radio hamra you're on the air hello yes hi um yes i have a question um i have been um i have been married for uh 13 years now mm-hmm. out of these um 13 years i've been separated for about 15 or 16 months and um, the reason of this uh, separation was my husband was an alcoholic mm-hmm. for the most part of our marriage. He got sober two years ago, 
And um, after, I used to think that all of our problems uh, were related to his um, addiction. But after he got sober, I actually got to see his real face. And I mm-hmm. thought, oh, my God, problems are much more like deeper than that. So... Um, Let me ask you just a, a few other background questions. So, did you um, are you currently separated, or you were separated for a while, fifteen to sixteen months previous? We are currently separated. Okay. But uh, he wants us to get back to each other. Okay. And how old are you? And how old is he? I am about forty-five, and he's fifty-five. Okay. And you said he's been dealing with alcoholism. Um, and so for the past, a little bit over a year, you guys have been separated? Yeah. And living in Correct. separate homes? Correct. Okay, and do you guys have any children? Yes, we have a 12-year-old son. Okay, just one boy. Okay, 12-year-old yeah. son. And, you know, something you brought up, um, very often people, when they have one significant issue like alcoholism or maybe something else, and they think that's the only issue they have in the relationship... Sometimes they don't realize that that is actually masking the other relation, other issues they'd have in their relationship if that was not there. So if you do remove that big problem, it doesn't mean everything is smooth sailing after that. Now you actually have to have the real relationship. So that problem could almost allow you to avoid the issues you have within the relationship. Now, something else we'll keep an eye on is you maybe had a codependent relationship with him with the alcoholism, which is something... The, the codependent term almost came up with people who are living with alcoholics or people who are dealing with addiction. So that's something we'll keep in mind. And very often in those relationships, when that problem goes away, actually the marriage doesn't work very well because in some ways the, the alcoholism with that one partner allowed for the marriage to at least keep some kind of an equilibrium. But, but go ahead. Oh, thank you so much. That is exactly my problem. Uh-huh. I don't feel equal. You know, I, I have built so much resentment about mm-hmm. him. And, um, you know, after, um, as I was explaining, after he got sober, I noticed, um, as you mentioned, the alcohol was just actually was making everything high resolution. Mm-hmm. But everything was actually there. It wasn't that yeah. because of alcohol happening. But, and, um, but my problem is, you know, I, I am kind of torn apart right now. I don't know what decision would be the right choice uh, to make because um, when I left home, he was um, he got in his you know, he was in his comfort zone. He didn't want to go to work. He was working, but he wasn't putting any effort into his work. And I could see that he would he would be fired or something you know, because he was his addiction. Um, was directed towards games, computer games, mm-hmm. and he was playing computer games like I don't know how many hours a day. It was very, very bothering. Mm-hmm. And so, did he go from the alcoholism to new addiction, the video games, or or? Yes. Okay. Exactly. He went to um, he went to video games, and then. Um, because of that, it I'm not sure what that beeping is. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. Um, and then, um, well, 
he he wasn't he was even playing at work. So, um, long story short, he lost his job, mm. and um, before, actually, I left him before he lost his job because I could see that was coming. I could see what was happening in his mm-hmm. life, and um, and I was about to get a good job, and he was thinking about like being retired and just living out of my um, income and his pension or whatever, and. I didn't like that. I didn't. I saw that he was getting so much into his comfort zone. So, um, and he was so negative, complaining all the time, and that was one of his um, controlling, I guess, methods. Uh-huh. Always complaining about something. No matter. I got to a point in my life that no matter what, how much I put into this life, I'm always, um, I always have to listen to his complaints. He uh-huh. would always say, "Oh, you don't help me enough." Uh, that's why I have so much stress, and um, I was trying to take the responsibilities out of his shoulder one by after another, but um, it didn't. It didn't help much. It didn't help at all with mm-hmm. his complaint. Mm-hmm. So, so I left. He um, he lost his job, and um, well, he got retirement, but it wasn't enough to pay for all of his bills and expenses. So, after three, four months of losing his job, he got to a point that he had to go look for a job. So, um, right now, he has he has um, found a job in another state. He's gone, he has started, actually, his work. And um, another thing that we had issue with was me insisting on having a house and he wasn't serious. He would say, why, why we need a house for? We can rent all of our life. And uh, that was another, but now he's saying, I have a job. Now I want to buy a house and let's get back to each other. Mm-hmm. And okay. he said, so, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot going on. You know, I, I definitely, you know, the more you talk about the relationship, the more it does sound like there's codependency there. And I don't know if you've read the book Codependent No More by Melody Beatty, but I would highly recommend that book for you because I think very likely you'll see that you can relate to that and a lot of your relationship is talked about in that book. So I'd highly recommend that book for you. Have you read it before? No, I haven't. Okay. So I think that would be a very good one for you to read because it seems like you have that kind of relationship. Now, was there any addiction in your uh, family and your parents? No. No? No. Okay. No. And what were your parents like? Because I want to get an understanding of your own emotional development. But what were your what were your parents like? How would you describe them? Well, my parents have been living uh, together for more than fifty years now. Mm-hmm. But um it's just they've been they have been just living. As as long as I remember, they haven't been happy together. Uh huh. They were just tolerating each other. Yeah. And um, my mom was always, always, I, as much as I remember, like nagging, complaining, and uh, and my dad had anger issues, mm-hmm. uh, throwing stuff, and oh, wow. okay. yelling. Yeah, that's towards that. you, the kids, and I don't. I didn't ask about siblings yet, mm, or towards your fa- no, your father. N- no, towards towards my mother. My my dad actually was really um, kind and. Nice, especially to me and my dad had a very good relationship, mm-hmm. um, much better than um, me and my mom. I see. Um, but, um, Did you have any siblings? Yes, 
I have two brothers and two sisters, and I'm exactly at the middle. Okay, two brothers and two sisters? Yes. Okay. So, yeah, there's a pretty big family. So your mom was very controlling, had a lot of anger. Now, you're saying she was that way with your father, but she wasn't that way with you and the other kids, or she was? No, my my, my, my dad has anger problems. Oh, your dad. My I thought mom, you said your mom does. Yes. Yes. My, mom, my mom's way was just, you know, he, she, would, she, was, she would start complaining since morning until she was going to bed. And I would... Complaining about my dad, and she still does that. I'm telling mom, you have known him for more than 50 years. This is him. Why you you keep complaining? Right now, let me ask you this: Do you not think the same might be true of your husband? Yes. He's been the same way. By by that I mean, you know what you're telling your mom. You know, maybe someone someone easily could tell you too. Your husband's been this way for 13 years. What do you expect? You know, I my problem is because since he got sober, I he has been very active, like participating in all of these uh, support system, you know, AA groups, everything. Uh-huh. That's good. And um, he, he goes to all of that those meetings, and I can see, I can see clearly that um, his view about life in general has changed a lot. I, I mean, I can see a lot of improvement in him, but uh-huh. I don't, I don't know. If the issues that I have with him or I, I had with him has been has been solved. I think yeah. he, he's not as um, he doesn't get as angry as he used to. You know, every time we used to talk to each other, we couldn't we, it couldn't go longer than five ten minutes. Mm-hmm. It was fight right after it. But now he has more patience. I can see that difference in him. Um, okay. But at the same time, I am so fearful. You know, I I don't want to look. You know, I don't want to judge him just by his past. I I like to. I would love to give him another chance. But at the same time, so fearful sure. that. And I'm I, I'm kind of kind. As I said, I have built resentment. As soon as he brings up something, I'm like, I jump out of my place. I know that yeah. then. then I start to overreact. It's, you know, it's hard for me to forget everything and try sure. to look at everything from like new eyes. Well, likely you held a lot in um, during those earlier years, and you're so angry with him for what he did, and you're still angry with him even if he doesn't do those behaviors for what he did before. And again, this is very in line with what we see in codependency, so that's why... The more you're talking, the more it seems to fit you, and I'd really recommend for you to read that. But I can understand your fear in getting back with him. Is it, is he really, uh, is it really going to be different? Is it going to be, or is it going to be the same? And as I mentioned earlier, it's almost like you know you guys never got to have your real relationship if the alcoholism was there, and you guys might exactly. be in some ways creating a new relationship, and you have to be ready for that. And yes, that's going to be a little bit scary if you decide to do it. And not going to be easy at all. And you guys have to be ready to do some very hard work. And I think it is almost necessary for the two of you to go to couples therapy in order, if you do decide to work on it together, to not do it alone. Because it's very unlikely you'll be able to do that by yourselves. Have you guys gone to therapy before as a couple? Well, we did, but I had to force him. I had to take him to therapy, you know, before before he got sober and 
in the last session, he showed up drunk and wow. just stared at yeah. me, what you're doing. You cannot do anything about him. Well, it's specific. Well, then you know, again, that was maybe a lot of your focus was also his alcoholism, and maybe he wasn't ready to acknowledge it or to work on the issues. But I think you can even let him know if it's something you're open to that if we want to work on things and we want to get back together, we would have to do therapy. That's maybe almost make it a condition for you that that's the only way because I think it's going to be something you'll need to create this relationship. It's not just going to work out. Uh, right now because you guys have so much you have so much anger you might even need your own therapy to deal with that too because you're so angry with him a lot of which you have to keep in mind you've helped create the relationship you had with him it's not just about him you accepted him treating you the ways he did you accepted holding in a lot of your feelings um, and I'm wondering if you, when you were a kid do you feel like you held in a lot of your feelings also um, I when I was a kid I I know that I wouldn't talk a lot about yeah. my feelings. I know I'm. I had, you know, I, that, that uh, what you were talking about before, like the feeling that you're not being appreciated mm -hmm. at home. That was it, it, my exact feeling at yeah. home. But you know, um, but I was fine. You know, I got really. I was. I had some anger towards, like, especially one of my siblings who used to hurt me a lot, but. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I really got over it. You know, I was. It doesn't. It doesn't hurt me when I remember or when I talk about it. I I have forgiven and I have forgotten. And it's not forgotten. It cannot be forgotten. Yeah. But, well, um, and you know, but my point is not even to say that it's, you're upset about all those people. And maybe there are some feelings there. But just try to understand you. It seems like you were saying even you would hold things in, and that makes sense. Again, people who are codependent tend to kind of detach themselves from their own emotional needs and just focus on the other so if they have an issue they have a problem they're helping them with that but over time they build a lot of resentment and even feelings of guilt and and a lot of really negative feelings that they usually can't hold in after a while and they come out and as i mentioned before when the core issue they think the core issue gets solved like the alcoholism then the real issues come to the surface. And that's why what you're experiencing might be even more painful because before you just thought he was the problem, he's the issue, and now you're realizing you have some of your own issues when it comes to the relationship too. Um, and like that's something that you can, you know, uh, will have to work on. And that's not easy. It was very easy to just say, oh, it's my husband and his alcoholism. That's why we have problems. And it had nothing to do with you. And now you're realizing, well, I'm contributing to the issues too. So your fear in getting back together, I can understand. Um, I would read the book Codependent No More on your own to better understand yourself and also your relationship. But I think if you want to get back with him, it is a scary thing. I, I would say you, you can let him know that I th we absolutely have to go to therapy if you want to. And, and for a while. Don't just say, well, we went to a therapist once or twice. I mean, for months at least. To, to help create this new relationship together. You've been married 13 years, but really it's like you're starting from scratch in some ways. You're starting a new relationship. Exactly. And that, that is absolutely true because I feel like always there's been something, and that's what exactly I told him. Always there was something in between us. We, we never got that close to each other. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We, never, um, we never actually known each other yeah. as, as Couple never made those bonds. Mm -hmm. And as uh, I mentioned in the first in the first segment, you have to ask yourself too. Maybe I didn't want to get that close to anyone because it felt safer for me. 
Right. So maybe right. that's another part of the fear is not just, well, will he be different and be good, but also, well, do I want things to be different? Because that can be scary too. So, you know, you have to be aware of your own reluctance in, in repairing the relationship because um, that means you have to create this new relationship with him, which might mean getting even closer to him, something that might be a little scary for you. Right, right, because I I don't know, it's it's very tough. It's very sure. I'm not sure if we lost you. Hello? We might have lost her, but either way, we actually were going to the commercial break, but... Um, yeah, I guess we lost the caller. But yes, I hope you'll read that book, as I was saying, but also recognizing that people with codependency tend to have low self-esteem, not really value themselves and their needs. So one, they don't get their needs met in the relationship and are afraid to do so. But also, as I was just talking about getting close to someone because of that feeling of low self-esteem or that their needs and wants won't be appreciated or the other person won't want to meet them, they have a fear of getting close to showing them that. So some of your fear, as I said, might be from, well, will he go back to his old ways, which was so painful, but also will I have to deal with the new relationship and actually getting close to him, something that might be scary for you too. But thank you for your call. We've reached our next commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. We'll be right back. Back to In Session with Dr. Fadi Talakwi, studio number 310-4410555. Let's go to our next caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Yes. Uh, thank you for your time, Doctor. Sure, thanks for calling. Um, well, I'm calling regarding my daughter. Mm-hmm. She's almost 32. Okay. Uh, she has a doctorate degree. She's a physician, actually. Um we moved to this country, uh, it was almost like 16, 17 years ago. She was a teenager, and she has worked hard, she studied a lot, uh, she was familiar, um, and she got her degree. And my problem with her is her uh, poor choice of her relations. Okay. And she has been through couple so far, which... Um, um, she ended both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from the beginning, I, I knew it, they are not the right people for her, but we respected her choice. So um, we, we were in relation with those guys. They were coming to our places. We, we were having like very respectful relation with them. But I always knew they are not the right people. So eventually she broke with one of them, it was almost 10 years ago, and straight right after that, she went to another relationship, which she broke with that one, like, maybe two years ago. And now, I think that this third one, by far, is the worst. Okay. She's in a relation with the gentleman. Um, we are a minority religion, mm-hmm. and this gentleman, he's Muslim, 
um, he had a total different culture. He's uh, Afghan, and um, well, he he studied to be a, a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. But for me, those huge differences are a big issue. Um, but she thinks it's okay. It's fine, and. I really don't know what to do with this one. I don't really want to get involved with this one. Good. Because, again, from the beginning, I know these this differences are going to be a huge um, problem in future. There is one of her problems. Okay. Well, let's stick, let's stay here. Okay. Because, um, you know, you said I don't want to get involved. I don't know if you heard me say good because really, at the end of the day, there's not much you're supposed to do and you can do. If she asks you for your opinion, you're allowed to. Sh- you can share that, but you can't tell her to stay with this person or not, and you can't make it your goal to break them up because that usually, first of all, backfires and will make her closer to him, and second of all, will damage your relationship with your daughter. Now, let me ask you something: Are you uh, married still to her father? Oh yeah, we have great relation. I have been married to my husband for like 35 years. Okay, and you have any other children? Yes. It's my son. He's 26. 26. Okay. Now, um, other than the fact that he's he's Afghan and different religion than you, your daughter, what don't you like about him? Well, I haven't had chance to meet him that often. It, I, he, she just introduced him once to us mm-hmm. through a lunch. But... Um, uh, you know, it was like one hour, and we didn't get that opportunity to talk to him very much. Okay. So we, you don't know there was so there wasn't anything about him you didn't like when you saw him or anything really other than what you said about yeah. the religion. Okay. Now, does being from the a different religion? First of all, with religion, especially, it depends on how big of a part religion plays in your life. So for your daughter, how big? is her religion in her own personal life? Um, well, that, that's the point. Uh, to me, she's just like an empty glass. So when she come across somebody, she just pour herself with their ideas and opinions, which is breaking my heart. Um, with the guy, uh, the first one was a Muslim again, mm-hmm. and she was just hanging there with him, and he had no clue. And then the second one, he was kind of like, because he was raising, uh, growing up in a Catholic family, he, he was like anti-God. He, ha- he didn't believe in anything. So she was kind of like turning to be like him. Mm-hmm. She was challenging us, oh, I don't believe in this, and, and she was kind of like making fun of our beliefs. And, you know, not me and not my, not my husband. We never pushed them, you know, for any religion or any faith. We just wanted her to have some sort of belief in something greater than her. That's it. Mm-hmm. But we never push none of them to to go. You have to go to this class. You have to do this. You have to follow that. Never. But okay. I, well, so you know, it seems like religion and the religion you guys share as a family is not too important for her. Now, does that mean they won't have any obstacles? They can. I'm not saying it's not, but I wouldn't say that it, it seems like it's a big. It, it's a huge issue right off the bat. So, is it is it a potential challenge? Yes. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, it was a big obstacle for her because that's the main reason we are here in this country. And she had been through hardship because of our fate back in uh-huh. our country. Well, sometimes because of that, people can have very different experiences. Sometimes 
they feel even more attached and committed and their belief becomes more firm in what they're believing. Sometimes because of they had to go through so much pain because of their religion, they could even have a reaction against it where they dislike the religion or you said they'll make fun of you for your religion because they're almost angry at what they had to go through because of their religion. So people experience different things. I get what you're saying, that it was a big part of her life and that she suffered in Iran likely and then she had to leave the country and come here because of that and such a big change. But her relationship to the religion is, is a unique one and it, it's, it's hers. It's not for you to determine what she's going to feel. Just like you don't have control and you can, shouldn't have any control over her relationship romantically, you can't have a relation or a control over her relationship with God or with her religion. That's up to her. So if she's saying, for me, religion is not that this religion isn't a big deal, that's up to her. You you could say, I want her to like it, but that's that's not for you to, to decide for her. That's completely her choice. Just like her choice of partner is her choice. Yes. So uh, as much as I could understand your concerns as a parent, we have to you know, understand we can only we can share our opinion if they want us to, but we we can only do that, and we we're not supposed to control it. Um, I know it seems like you really want them not to be together, but I really urge you not to try to interfere in a way to make them break up, or hope that they break up, or do anything to affect the relationship in that way. Because, as I said before, you more than likely will push her towards him more, and will damage your relationship with her more than anything. That's true, but. I was thinking maybe I can talk to her and tell her about my opinion because um, I was thinking to tell her, you know, that you, as, as you said, that's your choice, that's your mm -hmm. option, and I respect it. But I really don't want to get involved with this one because I, ha I had those experiences with two, two other guys, and I really don't want to get involved with this third one. What do you mean you had these experiences? You, you got involved before? You know what? The, the other guys, they were coming to our houses. We we had chance to go and meet their, you know, families. Um, we went. She said, oh, "Can they come with us in, on this trip?" I took the second one to meet my uh, parents. You know, we did everything she was asking us. Okay. We really tried to cooperate with her. But and with this one, I that I think it's my choice not to go through the same, you know, experience. If she has the right to do whatever she wants, I think I have the right to make up my mind, too. I, I just want to make well, sure... You always I'm have the right, right to make up your mind, but you have to be ready for the consequences. So you can say, you have the right to say, I never want to look at your boyfriend ever, and I never will accept him. But you have to be ready for the consequences that you're, you'll be less close to your daughter and you'll hurt her and there's things that are going to happen. So... You absolutely have the right to decide what you want to do. And also her right to choose who she wants to be with is different for me than your right to be loving and accepting to her and her relationship. She absolutely gets to pick who she gets to wants to be with and has nothing to do with your opinion or anyone else's opinion. But you deciding to be there for her, you still have the choice, but I wouldn't compare those and say they're the same thing. Mm -hmm. So... I, I, you know, it's up to you if you don't want to be involved and engaged, but you have to re realize the consequences that that will have for you and your daughter and the family. And if you ask me, when it comes down to it, she gets to choose who she wants to be with. Um, 
I think you can share her opinion, your opinion with her. That's fine. And you have to express it as concerns. A lot of times when parents have these conversations, they say, I know. They say, I know this is going to be a problem, or I know you're going to get divorced later on, or I know it's going to be bad. And that's not a good way to bring up a conversation because, first of all, we don't know. You can't say you know 100%. You're concerned about certain things. So I'd be aware of how you share your opinion, especially because if she ends up staying with him and marrying him, and then you say all these very negative and hurtful things about him, well, then how is she going to feel around you and him and, and all of that? And you have to understand maybe what you tell her goes back to him because this person might become her husband and they might share a lot of things. So I would be mindful of how you share your opinion with her and share it as an opinion, not as fact or expert opinion, and share it with her as your concerns, not something that you know, and let her tell you. More than anything, if you want, you can open a dialogue with her that she can tell you about how she feels about him. What do I like about him? What attracted me to him? Um, and then also maybe if you create that type of a relationship or conversation, then she can also tell you what I don't like about him or my own concerns. Maybe she's concerned about the culture or religion, or religion thing. But if you bring it up and tell her she's doing something wrong, she might become defensive and never tell you about her own concerns. Yeah. Okay. Well, that sounds good. <laughs> I, I get the feeling you're not so happy, but, you know, that that's kind of the way it is when it comes to uh, our children, especially as they, they no longer are children. Your daughter's 32. We have to recognize that we have less and less of a, a say in what they're going to do and what they decide. And the best thing you can do is just be there before her and be her loving mother and accept her and her relationship, whatever it might be. Even if you don't think it's the right choice, you can still accept that she made that choice. You know what? The, the experience I have with the previous boyfriend, she she wanted to buy a puppy, adopt a puppy, and I talked to her maybe a million times. That's not a good uh, idea. You bring a puppy to your life with a boyfriend. First of all, she was at that, the residency, and she didn't have time. I said, that puppy needs attention. You know, you have to be for her you know, and she's going to be part of your life for a long time. Uh, to make the story short, they separated, and that poor puppy <laughs> between of them going back and forth, and I can see that feeling of frustration in that phew, innocent face of the puppy going from this place to that place, and they are still uh, talking to each other. Oh, we are we are just friends right now. Okay. But they are going through because of the puppy, mm -hmm. and that was the relation. I, I, I'm just so concerned if she goes through this one, and next time it's not a puppy. There are two kids. <laughs> and I am the one who suffers because... Well, hold on. We have to stop that. When you say, I am the one that suffers, what does that mean? You know, because when you see that those innocent people, they are coming to life because of our mistakes. Sure, and... but not... Okay, but our... It's not your mistake. You're, you're, you know, it's your daughter's choice. And to say your daughter's divorce is your suffering, I don't agree with. Will you be sad? But it, it, Yes. But to say if your daughter goes through something, it's your suffering, even in the way you're talking, and it makes sense that you're so trying to be involved in her life, but there's a dependency there. You're too, you're too close to her emotionally, that her acts and her emotions are your actions and emotions when that's not the case. Yes, of course, I don't want any children to have to go through divorce although related to what i talked about earlier i don't want people to stay in a bad marriage but besides the point i get what you're saying that that would be sad but to think that you're the victim in all of this 
it is not the right mindset, if you ask me. That's missing what's really going on. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. So I, I get it. You want your daughter to make a good choice. Look, even if she marries someone of the same marriage, same culture, uh, same religion, same culture doesn't mean it's going to work out necessarily. She should make the best choice she can make nonetheless, but you're going to have to leave that up to her. And like I said, and you yourself were saying, you can express your concerns to her, but concern is different than opinion and fact. And you have to let her make the choice because she's going to be the one that has to live with it. Yes. So I, I just I just let her know my concerns. I, that's what I think. And this, the rest of the, her decision is hers. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And you have to really try your best to, to accept that. Because a lot of people will say that and then they'll try to get involved one way or the other or influence what's I happening. Promise, I promise just to stay away. And well, be aware of that too because when you say stay away, that might be your own way of saying I'm not going to approve of the relationship by not seeing you guys. <laughs> I have to go to another journey? <laughs> I, well, I'm not saying you have to do anything or go on a journey, but like I said before, you, you do have the right to choose what you want to do but recognize the consequences. So if she says you know, his parents want to meet you guys and you say no, I won't do that, you have the right, but you have to be aware that there's consequences to your decision. So that's all I'm saying. So, yes, you, you could decide not to go on this journey with your daughter and with them. Um, but then you have to recognize that, yes, if they get married and they have kids, you won't be as involved and you won't be as close. That's your choice. But I'm saying you have to be aware of the consequences of your choice. Okay. Thank you so much. Sure. Another question can I ask? Um, sure. Just hang on the line. You know, we'll, we'll go to a commercial break. We'll talk after the break, okay? Thank you so much. Sure. Thank you. All right, you're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadir Lakwi. We'll be right back. back let's go back to our caller radio hamra you're still there yes okay you said you had another question let's let's yes. hear it thank you for your time sure uh, the second question is regarding her again is mm -hmm. my daughter um i think she's not appreciative uh, of anything um i especially us you're doing for her um okay. you know i i have never expect anybody thanking me for what I'm doing. I think what, what you're doing is your choice. And uh, you're not supposed to expect any, you know, return from anybody. Okay, but... But I have done... <laughs> I was waiting for the but, which was almost going to negate everything you said before. Okay, so but, uh-huh. <laughs> but, you know, she just keep asking and asking and asking for different things, and I have never said no to her. Mm -hmm. To her, and I have always tried to... You know, have a time to do the different things she's asking, for, uh, you know, for herself, do it. 
But recently, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little bit busy with the school I enrolled and the full-time Good. job I'm doing and many other things. And many of the CDs I'm listening to father and different, you know, TED Talks to say, well, it's okay to say no. It is. <laughs> if you can. Absolutely it is, yes. Thank you. So, <laughs> your thank you is almost like I was also giving you approval to say no. Yes. Okay. So, what what is happening with her? What are the things? And actually, I'm very happy to hear you're. You said you're going to school. You're working full time because a lot of times in relationships that are very dependent, what you see parents doing, specifically mothers, is they don't develop a lot of their own life. And a lot of times, historically, they weren't allowed to, so they almost were forced not to develop a life. But especially even in current times. They might not develop their own life and they focus and put too much weight and emphasis on their children's lives. And that's a bad dynamic. But I'm happy to hear you're working, you're going to school. That That's very good. But what are some of the things she's asking you to do? Um, if you could give me some examples that you're saying you feel you don't have time to or you feel almost like she's asking for too much. For example, she's calling me and she said, do you have to have time to go to, to buy those stuff, for example, for my house? And I say, okay, I make a time. I'm, I'm coming from work to, um, you know, I'm home and just waiting and waiting and waiting. She don't show up. So she obviously disrespecting me. Because sure. She doesn't text me, okay, I canceled or I cannot come. I'm waiting and she's not coming. And then I, I eventually call and she said, Oh, I'm sorry, I stuck here or there, and okay, it's the cancel. Or eventually, in some occasions, we are going. To, can you do this for me? Can you buy this item for me? Can you fix this dress for me? And I do it for her, but and I never say no. But there is no word of thank you, and I don't expect that. I I always tell my husband, I don't expect it. It's okay, but I do it out of my you know love. Um, well, to a certain degree. It, it is, but it seems that, you know, when your children are little, it's also very different. If you have a baby, you don't expect anything and you shouldn't expect anything from the baby. Maybe you'll feel good around your baby. That's nice, but not anything when they get older. But as they get older, you should expect that your daughter, one, does have respect for you. If you feel like she makes plans with you and then doesn't show up and doesn't even tell you, that is, that's not okay. And you should let her know that's not okay. Do you tell her I'm upset that you, you didn't do that or you didn't? Let me know. Yes, actually, a couple of times I told Good. her she goes to a defense mode. You know. How? What did she say? She, she said, "Okay, I forgot." Kind of like that, but. Okay, and that's okay. She can get defensive and upset, but you still, it's good for you to let her know how you feel. And because of that, you might decide that okay, next time she asks you to do something, I'm not going to go completely out of my way to meet her needs. I'm going to take care of myself too. That's something that you're going to have to do because you have to recognize that the way she is being. At some level, you're responsible for it, or you're responsible at some level for the relationship you have with her, that she thinks, I can ask my mom to do anything, and she'll never say no, and no matter what, she'll make sure she can do it. You're responsible for that. And to change that, one, you have to recognize that you're not going to want to do it at some level. It's going to be uncomfortable for you. And two, that you're going to disappoint her, and you have to be willing to tolerate that. Yeah, that's the thing. That if right now, if I want to say no, I don't want she thinks, oh, it's because of my boyfriend. I know because of the new boyfriend. This is the thing that scares me now. If I want to say I say no because I really can't. Mm-hmm. That, that school is very time consuming, and I'm working full time. So 
I don't want her to think, oh, because she's not approved. Well, you know, you, you know, this is it is a little complicated now when you add that and you're worried, but you have to show her that it's not about that. You show her one. That when you tell her you don't have time, you really don't have time and you have to take care of a lot of things. You can even talk to her about it. And two, I would say, as I mentioned before, I don't think you should disapprove of her boyfriend openly and make her feel bad about it. Clearly, if you're saying that, that means you already think she knows you're not okay with the boyfriend. So that's something you have to be aware of, that this is, you know, some of its past history, how you were with the previous boyfriends and also what you've made her feel already. But you have to be willing to, to disappoint her. And even if she says it's because of that, say no, it really is not. Maybe. And you can even acknowledge, you know what? Sometimes I realize I was doing too much or I was doing things that were too painful for me as far as taking care of myself. And I need to shift that a little bit and change that. And you could even say, and there was times I felt that you didn't respect my time. And that was hurtful also. But so I'm realizing I have to make sure I take care of myself. And right now with work and with my school that takes a lot of time, I need to, to give myself time to take care of those things. I'm not going to be as available as I once was. Thank you so much. You know, it, it, it happened several million times during she, the time she was in residency. I had just one day off. I was in the kitchen cooking, like packing food for her because I knew she not going to have time to cook. So... I want to, uh, we were taking to her house and you know, put it in the fridge, and you never hear the word of appreciation. But I was doing it out of, out of my love. You know, it's your child. It's, she's working hard. It's a situation. But Yes, but at some level, I think, you know, you created a dynamic with her that maybe isn't healthy, where you were giving, yes, as, you know, you didn't do it to get a thank you, but maybe you created something in her that's not good. And the reason why this is also, it's not just about you and her, but also, what she might take to other relationships. Either she might identify with you and think she has to be that person in her relationships, so she's the giver that doesn't get thank yous and doesn't get things in return, or she can expect that from her partner. Either way, it's not healthy. So this is why as parents, we have to be aware of the relationships we create both, of course, with our our spouse, but also with our children, because what we think, if I'm just giving to them, that's good. I'm a mom, I'm giving and giving and giving. But you might show them either one, that you can be in relationships where you never have to give back, or two, if you want to be a good mom, a good wife, you have to be like this, where you only give and you don't get anything back, neither of which is healthy. So you have that dynamic. And she's 32. You know, you're there for her, you're, you're her mom, and you support her. But as far as things you do for her, that should become less and less over time. You know, running errands for her, cooking for her. Those things shouldn't be all the time types of things as if when she was a child. You want to give her more of that responsibility. And like I said before, you have to be ready that when you pull back, she's going to be disappointed. She's going to get upset. This is the same when people are very passive with people and then all of a sudden they become assertive. People don't like that. They're like, hey, you used to never say anything or you would always just say, okay, I'll give you a ride and not complain or say anything. And now you're saying you don't want to give a ride this time and they get upset. Not because you're doing something bad, but because you're actually trying to change what was an unhealthy dynamic. And you're taking away some of their expectations, which were unhealthy, but trying to go towards something that's healthier for both of you. So you have to be ready for that and ready for yourself not to feel the guilt because you might feel guilt and recognize, OK, I don't need to feel guilty if I'm taking care of myself. And I think my daughter is asking too much from me. Yes. Actually, she asked me for something yesterday and I said, I'm sorry, my school started already. I can't do it. And that fear of guilt is killing me. Yeah. And that's what you have to be ready for, because there's something that, although you're saying you didn't 
you did it out of love. Part of also what you're doing it from is the fear of guilt, that I don't want to feel guilty that I'm not doing something or to be a good mom means I have to do everything every time, no matter what. Even some of your language, you've already said, you said, for example, a one million times during residency. Of course, it was not a million times. Or you've said a lot of nevers or always, which shows this extreme that I have to be this way. And if I'm a mom who every time my kid needed me, I was there. Every time they wanted me, I did what they wanted. And that's not even healthy. And especially when your children become adults, yeah. you can't always you know, expect you're actually holding her back if you're always doing everything on her schedule the way she wants it, the way she says. And I think that was very good that you said, you know, I need to work on my, my schoolwork. You can tell her maybe there's another time we can go together, but you're not on, you know, on call waiting for her to just say, I need you again, especially as a 32 year old, you have to, to change that. And you have to be ready that that's going to be hard to change. And as I mentioned, I would recommend even talking to her about it to let her know, maybe, you know, this change is coming, not because you love her less or you'd want to do things for her less, but you're recognizing at times you weren't taking care of yourself and you have to make sure rather than saying you're unappreciative, you're, you don't care. I'd focus more on you. I didn't take care of myself enough. I helped create this relationship and maybe, and I want it to change. And so you might notice these changes. Thank you so much. Sure. Really appreciate your time. Well, I appreciate you calling. Thank you very much. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Reaching the end of today's show, I wanted to remind everyone of the book of the week, The Evolution of Desire by David M. Buss. The Evolution of Desire, Strategies of Human Mating by David Buss. If you also have books you'd like to suggest, please go ahead on my Twitter, my Facebook, or my Instagram page. You can message me or send me a picture of the book that you'd like to recommend. I haven't picked all the books that I'll read for uh, the whole year, so go ahead and send me books you'd suggest for the book of the week. I've actually gotten a few from listeners already, so thank you. I appreciate that, and if you ever want to join in the discussion, I'll be discussing this book this Monday, but feel free to call in to talk about the book or whatever questions or issues that you might have. All right, we've reached the end of today's show. Thank you to all the callers and all the listeners. Thank you to Raman here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dalakwi. Hope you have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.